Hello, and welcome to episode 258 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. You may have heard at one point or another how important it is to have a mentor, but just as important is how you can be a mentor to others. So today's guest gives us the rundown on what good mentors do and how you can support others to do their best. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer stewart I wanna say thank you for choosing to spend your time with me right now. I know that as a manager, you have a lot of competing priorities. And I'm so grateful that you've decided to invest your most precious asset, your time, in developing yourself so you can foster a better team environment and advance your management skills. If you want to accelerate this process, check out the Modern Manager Skills Accelerator. This is the program I designed specifically to help you learn and grow with me by your side every step of the way. So check it out at themodernmanager.com slash skills accelerator. Today's guest is Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott is a highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host. He's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and currently serves as Franklin Covey's senior advisor on thought leadership. Prior to his advisor role, Scott was a 25-year Franklin Covey associate, serving as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president. He hosts On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. And Scott is a partner at Gray & Miller, a speaking, literary, and talent agency. Scott and I talk about mentorship, why it's important to find yourself a mentor and how to actually find one, what to do and not do when you are mentoring someone, the difference between mentorship and coaching, and whether managers can actually mentor their staff, plus a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Scott. I don't think I've ever talked about the topic of mentorship, so I'm really excited to have you. And also, I've played the role of a mentor, but I've never actually known exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in that role, so I'm really happy that I get to learn from you today. So thank you for coming on. Mimi, thank you for the invite, the spotlight, the platform. Looking forward to our conversation. All right. So let's just start with what is mentorship and how is it maybe different from coaching or advising or being a good manager? Yeah. What is this thing called mentorship? Well, I think there's probably lots of definitions. I think one difference between coaching and mentorship is typically, in my experience, maybe coaching is a a business, right? Someone has hung a shingle out. They have been certified. They have a a thought process, a pedagogy. They actually are certified, credentialized to be a coach. And there's some similarities in in, in mentorship and coaching. But I think mentorship is usually, in my experience, pro bono. It's usually someone wanting to give back, make an investment to be a transition figure in someone else's life. I think you can be a coach and a mentor, but they have some fundamental differences like I just described. I also think that Mentorship is something that happens probably in the midst of leadership management, but I generally would advise people not to have their leader or their manager be their mentor. I think that's a role that should not be foisted upon or asked by your leader. Certainly, you've had leaders in life that have also been great mentors, but I think mentorship is probably something that should be reserved for outside counsel, wisdom, high courage conversations where that person isn't also responsible for your income, your performance appraisal, your termination, or your promotion. 
That makes a lot of sense because if you're trying to have a particular set of conversations, there needs to be a level of distance from reality, I'm guessing, like that that the things can't all just intermingle and interplay to a place where it makes you as the mentee less comfortable sharing your honest thoughts and feelings. Yes? I, I agree with that. Side note, I once heard someone say that one of the reasons why marriage is so difficult is because we try to make our spouse, our partner, our best friend, right? Our our reading buddy, our romantic lover, our hiker, our biker, our tennis player. And your spouse doesn't always have all those things in common with you. So I think it's important to not ask your leader or your manager to also be your mentor. They can mentor you in your growth and your skills and giving you feedback. But I think mentorship is a separate role that someone can objectively look at you without understanding, sometimes in a positive way, what all the politics and the nuances are going on in your actual challenging day-to-day profession. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So then why do we need mentors? What's the value that can come from having a mentor and going through this thing we call mentorship? Well, I think it's one of the commonalities amongst all successful careers professionally, even personally. I mean, like you, I'm privileged to host a podcast. It's the world's largest weekly leadership podcast now. And what everybody has in common from the major celebrities, maybe to the four star generals, to the best-selling authors and business titans, they all talk about how they were mentored in life. Mentorship is something that I think we all should be redefining. It isn't always someone from the C-suite on the eighth floor. It isn't always someone that your organization assigns you to in an eight-month process. By all means, if you're offered that, take that inside of your organization or service club or membership society. But mentorship can also be someone from afar, someone distant, someone you've never met. My biggest mentors in life were people that didn't even know I was alive. I read their books. I followed their podcast. I went to conferences where they spoke and they had a profound impact on me. Mentorship really allows everyone to be a little more thoughtful around well, if I was going to do this, what are the positive or negative implications? Well, how would I do this? And 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 asking all the questions that you might not feel comfortable with your leader or your manager, or for that matter, your partner or spouse or best friend that may or may not have the wisdom to guide you well in your journey. I've never even imagined having a mentor that I wasn't talking to. So this is really eye-opening that you could actually it's almost like mentoring yourself by asking those questions through the mind or through the lens of someone who you really respect and who you're learning from. Is that what you're saying? It's absolutely right. Can I share a quick example? Please. I mean, my biggest mentor in life is a man named Bruce Williams. Bruce Williams really started talk radio back in the 80s. He had a call-in program every Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 p.m. He literally was talk radio long before Dave Ramsey or pick your favorite or most horrified political commentator. But he was a small town mayor. He was an entrepreneur. And he had this call-in program around financial advice and business acumen. I just inherited some money. What do I do with it? What is a credit score? How do I buy a home? How do I qualify for a mortgage? Do I need an attorney for a closing? What's the best way to launch a business? And for the better part of eight years in high school and junior high school, I know, nerd alert. Most of my friends were listening to UB40 and U2 on the radio. I was listening to Bruce Williams, but he had this profound impact on my business knowledge as a high school student every night, Monday through Friday for three years. Bruce Williams died 
having no idea Scott Miller was even alive. But the running start I got in economics, statistics, business classes in college, now as an entrepreneur after a 30-year business career, how to speak more forcefully, how to be aware of my, my presence for good or worse, that came from my mentor, Bruce Williams, who I never met and he never knew I was alive. Wow, that is amazing. And like, wow, I wish my kids would listen to that kind of influential stuff in their teenage years. Anyways, so let's talk about some of the key roles that mentors play, because I'm guessing that it's not just about listening and absorbing this information, because then it wouldn't really be mentorship, I would think. It would just be kind of education. But there's something else that's going on. So could you talk about some of these roles that you've identified that mentors play? Sure. So my newest book out is called The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, 13 Roles to Making a True Impact. I originally had 15 roles, but all of my readers said, what are you doing, Scott? You can't have 15. You were the chief marketing officer of the Franklin Covey Company. You made Stephen Covey famous, the seven habits of highly effective people. Lower the numbers. <laughs> so maybe with a lot of effort, I took it from 15 down to 13. But I identified 13 roles that I think are important for mentors to consider. They include the revealer, the boundary setter, the absorber, the questioner, the challenger, the validator, the navigator, the visionary, the flagger, the distiller, the activator, the connector, and the closer. Now, these are 13 roles that no one will master. My gift, I hope in the book and in my courses, is really having a greater understanding of when should you be in the absorbing role? When should you be in the validating role? When should you be in the challenging role? When should you be in the connecting role, if ever? And these roles don't align in sequence to your mentoring session. Let's just assume for a moment that much mentoring happens in a prescribed period of time. Let's say it's twice a month on Fridays for seven months. I'm making that up, but most mentoring has some kind of cadence. This doesn't mean that role one happens in meeting one and role six happens in meeting six, but I've identified roles that I think mentors should be aware of, mindful which ones are their strengths and which ones are their weaknesses, because one of my points of view on mentorship is oftentimes great leaders don't make great mentors. There is some incongruence that happens there. I can speak to that, but the roles that you play in mentorship aren't always the same that they play as a manager or a leader. Why don't you walk us through one or two of the kind of most common roles that mentors can play that we get wrong? <laughs> the ones that we kind sure. of, we're, that we, we are trying our best, but we're like wearing our wrong hat. And so we end up doing it wrong. I love that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you two of them. The first one is the boundary setter. It's number two. And I do believe it's a role that mentors should play early on. And when I say it's the boundary setter, we know this phrase from our parents, good fences make good neighbors. The same with mentors and mentees. A mentor needs to enter their conversation, making very clear to their mentee what their expectations are, what they will and won't be willing to offer. So for example, you may not say this maybe in the first five minutes of your mentoring, maybe the first session, likely the first session, but after you've built some trust and some rapport, after you've learned the personalities, if you don't know the person very well, I think it's important to role play like this. Mamie, very excited to be on this mentoring journey with you. Thank you for allowing me to invest some time as the mentee. We're going to learn from each other, no doubt. And 
as I get to know your personality more, I'd like to take a pause for a moment and just have what might be an uncomfortable conversation. My, my intent is not to embarrass you or to minimize you. It's just to make sure that we both can share what our expectations are, including what boundaries we don't want to have to come close to even crossing. So let's have an uncomfortable three-minute conversation and then go back to being very comfortable. Mimi, a couple of my important boundaries are, as your mentor, I want to make sure that I'm never placed in a position to feel like I'm your therapist or your counselor, that I'm your parent, that I am your best friend, or your, for that matter, your financial advisor or a funder. I, I don't want to ever be placed in those positions, so please steer clear of those. Also, maybe something you may know about me is after a 40-year career, I've built a pretty vast network that I, I guard quite jealously. Next to my character, reputation, my network is one of my most valuable assets. And so I'm going to ask that you not put me in the uncomfortable or awkward position of asking for a connection because that's something I don't do unless I know someone extremely well. Now, Mamie, I'm sure there are some boundaries you might like for me to respect on your side. You get the point, right? Is Now, that may seem harsh. That might seem a little bit forward. But I think it's important for mentors to set boundaries up front. And then, now that you've set the boundaries and you're a mentee who might be unconsciously incompetent around even knowing that there should be boundaries, I can assure you now that mentee is not going to ask me to fund their business or introduce them to the CEO of a major company I own, or no, rather. But if that mentee, over the course of several sessions or months or weeks, they prove themselves to be punctual, they make and keep commitments, they honor and keep confidences, they show growth and self-awareness and improvement, I might choose to change those boundaries. Maybe I strengthen them, maybe I weaken them. Maybe seven, seven sessions in, I realized this person would be an awesome referral to my wife's law firm, but now I've set the boundaries and now I can change them, lower them, or strengthen them if necessary. I think it's an important role that mentors move outside of their comfort zone and discuss the undiscussables up front. I love this one because it just it gets everyone on the same page and it keeps you from having those super awkward conversations later on where you feel like, kind of yucky, which is it happens in a lot of places where the boundaries get blurry and then one person feels weird about something and the other person doesn't realize it. the whole thing. Right. So, so nice to set those boundaries up front and then be able to refer to it. If someone is inching because they're not conscious of their right. own behavior, right. it's easier That's to right. say, I want to remind you that this is one of my boundaries. Right. Much better right. than at that moment saying I, what you're doing, I don't want to do. That's right. That's right. And I think it's important to say up front, hey, this is a bit of an awkward conversation. Let's spend three minutes being awkward and go back to having great conversations. That way they know this isn't like your whole modus operandi, right? Not everything is going to be you saying what you won't do and will do. So I think it's an important one up front in the book. And I give great tips and questions and ways to say this without making it too forceful or shutting down your mentee early on. Love that. Now, Another one that I'm passionate about is role number eight, Mamie. It's the visionary. No, sorry. Not, not, I want to speak about role number six. I love the visionary, but I want to speak about number six, the validator. I don't know too many people that feel they've been over-validated in life. I, I sure, certainly wasn't by my parents, by my minister at church, by my teachers. The opposite, right? I kind of always feel like I've been swimming upstream 
people telling me all the things I do poorly versus all the things that I do well. Welcome to welcome to being an entrepreneur, right? But I think as a mentor, you have the chance to literally change someone's life, to lift their self-esteem, to buoy their self-confidence, to reinforce their self-worth by validating specific areas of genius, expertise, growth, and competence. And it goes something like this. And notice I use the word judicious. I do not think that a mentor should just compliment ad nauseum their mentee because then nothing feels genuine, authentic, or or separate. I think first to be a great validator, you have to implement the power of the pause. Meaning it might go something like this. Mamie, I'm loving this conversation. So many great ideas we're talking about. I'd like to take a moment, if you will, and indulge me. I want to just have you be quiet for about a minute as I share with you something I think that is profound. And Mamie, I'm seeing something in you that is a remarkable skill. Your ability to synthesize information and bring it down to the fewest number of words and then execute on it is remarkable. Mamie, this is a talent. This is a genius you have. I want to name this genius. You are an expert synthesizer. This is a skill, Mamie, that's going to serve you well in relationships and life. Now, now, if like all skills, when overplayed, they can become weaknesses. So you want to be careful not to be too efficient with this skill in relationships because sometimes you have to recognize that slow is fast and fast is slow. But generally, this is a skill that I've seen enormous growth and improvement in you on, and this is a superpower you have. Now, if you noticed, I used a specific situation. I called it out. I actually called it a genius. I gave them a downside to think about not to overplay it. But I think, Mamie, mentors have the life to be transition figures because although I made that skill up, I don't know Mamie enough to know that that's a skill of hers or not, but Mamie will now metaphorically put that validation, that compliment, that skill that I named, she will put that in her backpack and carry that around with her for the rest of her life. And she will take it out and hold it in her hand when she needs it, when she's feeling down, when she's feeling beaten, when she's feeling abused, when she's feeling like a lack of confidence. And so I think Again, I'm going to say the word for the third time, judicious use of specific compliments, validation by naming an exact skill, an area of growth, a competency, an art, a talent. Get very specific how you saw them use it, deploy it, name it. This was something they'll remember for the rest of their careers. So powerful. And I I want to call out also that you're not just saying you do this well, but you're elevating it to that superpower, right? That's the part yeah. that shifts it to being this transformative thing, I think. that Can I add, can I add to that really quickly? Yes. I know our time is tight. I'm a stutterer. I've had a lifelong debilitating speech impediment. I've had braces four times, Invisalign twice, headgear. I've had two speech pathologists. I have a speech coach. I've been through decades of speech therapy to help me overcome what is a little bit of a lisp, what is, a, what is a very prominent debilitating stutter. I have about 60 words I cannot say in public, and it quintuples in the wintertime. The winter weather greatly exacerbates my stutter. 
when I was 16 years old, living in Orlando, Florida, working at a local bakery, this is 35 years ago, a Middle Eastern tourist came in and asked me for directions to a location about an about a mile away from the bakery. Proceed down here, turn left there, turn left there, turn right there, and there it is. At that moment, this woman looked at me. She actually was Israeli. I remember this. I remember she ordered an almond croissant and a cup of peppermint tea 35 years ago. She looked at me and said, wow, you are a great communicator. This is a great skill you have. You will go far in life with that skill. Now, you're talking to a kid who was 16 years old, junior in high school, that was probably going to his speech pathology appointment that night, who was a stutterer. And this woman named something, saw something in me that I couldn't even believe was true. Mimi, I went on to host a iHeartRadio program and two podcasts, and now I speak publicly for a living. Did she cure my stutter? No, but she saw something in me that no one else had ever said. And so I don't want to elevate mentorship to a panacea and a cure-all, but sometimes people just need to be told by someone they trust and someone who believes in them, genuinely, truthfully, a talent that they need to know is true, and then they will go and explode it in positive ways. Oh my gosh, what a story and what a life-changing moment. That is so awesome. All right, so if we want our team members to have good mentors and we want ourselves to have good mentors, how do we go about finding mentors, right? There's that the approach you started in the beginning of you don't even have to know the person in, in human life. They don't have to know you exist. You can go out and find mentors just in the world through their their works and their content. But if you want someone who is going to have those conversations and get to know you and be able to lift up and highlight in these ways your your magic genius, how do we go about finding the right person for ourselves? I think there's lots of ways. One is my advice to mentees. And by the way, I wrote the book for mentors. HarperCollins asked me to write a book on mentees, and I've thus far declined. But I think a couple of things. One is to all the mentees out there looking for a mentor, first and foremost, get clear on what it is you're trying to get done. What is it you're trying to accomplish? Are you convinced you want to become a patent attorney and therefore you want someone to mentor you on that process? Are you thinking you might want to be a massage therapist or a chiropractor or an orthopedic surgeon? By the way, those are very different things. And so first and foremost, you want to have a fairly articulate idea of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Maybe you're trying to become a vice president. Maybe you're trying to build your LinkedIn profile. Maybe you're trying to become an author. But first, get clear on what it is you want to do or have clarity on what you think it is you want to do. And then your mentor search process will become more viable. Now, if I want to become an author, I may or may not go to the world's best-selling author. That usually, if I want to become an author, I'm going to go to the lady that's written six books that have been mediocre successes. Just like if I'm looking to have a 40-year marriage, I don't go to advice from the guy who's had a 40-year marriage. I go to the guy who's had five marriages because the likelihood I can replicate the personality, the temperament, the forgiveness of the guy who's had a 40-year marriage is slim, but I can avoid all the pitfalls from the guy who had five marriages. Now, that's my point of view. I think we learn more from people's messes than we do from their successes. Now, 
I think it's important as you're looking for a mentor to move outside of your comfort zone. Find someone on LinkedIn. Let me tell you, I know a whole bevy of celebrities and well-known people. My day job is I'm a talent agent. I'm a literary speaking and talent agent. But what I know is everyone is doing the same thing at 945 at night in America. Everybody's laying in bed watching international house hunters and they're scrolling through their LinkedIn messages. Everybody or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you whatever name it is. So you can get to anybody. But if you are looking for a mentor, here's what I would say. Reach out. Mamie, you've done what I want to do. And I've so admired your journey. And I'm sure it's been fraught with ideas and work and initiatives that I and others have no idea how hard it was. I wonder, is there any way that you might be willing to mentor me on the process of becoming an author? Here's what I was hoping you might consider doing. Four sessions on days of your choosing, virtual or live, 45 minutes. I will always come on time, prepared. I will keep every commitment I make to you. And I will not ever ask you to do anything uncomfortable or outside the realm of these four calls. Now, it might be nine calls or nine Starbucks meetings, but but you should be specific and actionable and very clear that there's no mission creep. I really would love to understand all the things you've learned about this. And hopefully around the process, you might learn something from me. I don't know, probably not, but I'm willing to offer anything that I've learned that might be helpful for you. And here's why I think that's such an important part of the ask is because I'm often, I'm, I'm frequently questioned about reverse mentorship, maybe. And I say, there's no such thing as reverse mentorship. It's called mentorship because you don't have to be a certain age to be a mentor. Follow these 13 roles and you'll crush it. I have a lot of people that are younger than me in life that are mentoring me on my social media, on my Google Analytics, on AI and machine learning and chat GPT. That's not called reverse mentoring. It's called mentoring. And so you might also offer what you might be willing to coach them on. I think you, you, you customize the offer to the person you're searching for. And maybe you ask a friend, a relative, a neighbor, hey, I'm looking to launch a bakery business out of my kitchen so I can sell muffins at the Saturday farmer's market. Do you know anybody that's ever done anything like that? And would you be willing to ask them if they might mentor me on that process? Most people want to be a mentor. Most people aren't mentors because either A, they don't think they know how, my book solves that, or B, they worry about the mission creep, like how long will this take and how much time will it be and will it be worth my time and what will happen? Will this person want to become my best friend? Or So I think it's important that the mentee take responsibility for also setting boundaries that make it appealing to the mentor. So before we wrap up, I, I just want to point out, too, that I think it's really important to note that there are so many people in our lives, in our team, that we can be mentoring informally, right? As you said, it doesn't have to be always a structured thing. It can also just be that we want to take and play some of these roles with the folks who we see on a regular basis, who we think we can support in these special kind of ways outside of the scope of being their boss, right? It could be peers in other departments, could be other people in our lives, but just that it doesn't have to always be so formal. Just like you started off saying the people whose books you read, whose lectures you heard, that they were your mentors. We can also mentor people without it being an official mentor-mentee relationship. So just want to make that point. And now to transition us to our wrap-up because we have to say goodbye. 
Scott, can you tell us about a great manager you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? You know, I mentioned that I worked for the Franklin Covey Company for 27 years, was their chief marketing officer and EVP of thought leadership. I retired from that firm, still an ambassador for them. But Dr. Covey, of course, wrote the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But it was one of his sons, David Covey, who was my leader for about three years that had a profound impact on me. David really just reinforced the benefit of running with your strengths, focusing, doubling down, tripling down your strengths, and not trying to spend time shoring up all of your perceived weaknesses. And so I could use examples, but I don't need to. David just really helped to name and validate the things that I believed were my strengths, by the way, they absolutely applied to my job. And they weren't like, I like to raise tulips. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not a skill selling leadership training to Fortune 50 companies, right? So my a lot of my passions and strengths were in the realm. But I also had some weaknesses that that were not undermining my competence as long as I hired complementary skills around me. And it was really David that just reinforced I think in so many cases, it makes so much more sense to perfect and excel in your strengths versus trying to shore up all all your weaknesses. Now, listen, math and finance aren't my specialty, right? As a general manager of a multi-million dollar unit, I have to know how to read a P&L. I have to know how to calculate cost of goods and margin and EBITDA. And so I had a strong functional working knowledge, but I was never going to be the CFO. So to David Covey, I publicly thank you on Mamie's podcast for reminding me to focus on my strengths and not ignore, but to not waste precious time trying to grow all of my weaknesses. So lovely. And where can people learn more about you, Scott, and get a copy of your all of your books? <laughs> well, so I've authored seven. This particular book, The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, is available everywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books a Million, local bookstores. It's available on paperback as well as audio and ebook. You can visit greatmentorship.com. I have a lot of tools and services and products there for people who are mentors or who lead mentorship initiatives in their companies. And you can always connect to me and follow me on any social media platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I'm everywhere. Well, thank you again so much for chatting with me today. I have definitely learned a lot and all of the roles that we play as mentors and the 13 that you outline in the book are super helpful as I think about how to best support the people in my life. And I'm hoping that folks who are listening are going to do the same for the people in theirs. Mamie, thank you. Appreciate the spotlight today. To complement his book, Scott created a set of handy quick reference cards to use in your mentoring sessions. The cards highlight key insights from each of the 13 roles, as well as questions, watchouts, and phrases to progress your mentoring success. Patron members of the Modern Manager community, which includes all Skills Accelerator participants, you get access to this deck. And you can too when you join the Skills Accelerator or become a member. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join. You'll also get extended interviews, like the one here where Scott and I cover two more roles that mentors play. Yep, in the members-only podcast feed, you can listen to extended interviews from every guest. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. 
Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.